What is up and welcome back to Zen Business, the show that studies health and mindfulness habits that ultra high performers use to reach the top of their industry and their craft. I'm your host, Jonathan Maxim, Managing Director at K&J Growth Hackers and founder of five digital companies. We've grown these companies to great levels and created an exciting and fulfilling life for our team members, but the truth is it was much more challenging than we ever could have imagined. All right, now let's jump in. What is up and welcome back. I'm going to tell you the story of how I went from having 60K in my bank at 26 years old, thinking I'm rich, to being over 100K in debt. And then the whole story of how I got out of that and created multiples of wealth thereafter. So welcome back to the show. I'm excited to talk to you today. I think what, one of the things that resonates most with me when I am listening to podcasts is hearing people's stories. And if we're just sharing insights and ideas with all the time, the... The storytelling component can be lost, and that's really where you know you can create that sense of connection and relationship with the person. So I personally love listening to entrepreneur stories, and I think I've had some pretty gnarly stories that should be shared to one, you know, instill confidence and reassurance in you if you're on your entrepreneurial journey, but to inspire you to keep going. So this is the story of how I went from 60K in the bank to 100K in debt, and then how I dug myself out after feeling hopeless. So back in 2014, I had the idea of building this startup that would give you rewards for working out. So basically a fitness app that enters you into a contest and every mile that you run gives you one point toward a sweepstakes. So I could run 10 miles and have 10 entries to win a $1,000 pot of you know Saucony shoes, New Balance gear, maybe some tank tops, maybe some core water, some Red Bull. So we put these prize pots together and then everybody who ran each mile that they ran and the challenge would be entered to win. Now, even looking back today, I still think it was a great idea, but it was my first company and there are a lot of hard and expensive lessons that I learned. So. I, because I'm trained as a graphic designer, I designed the UI of the app, I designed the user experience, I hired the developer, I paid him out of my own pocket. This was when I was working in corporate, so I was you know, making decent money, I had saved up 50, 60K, and I started investing in my own company, which, first of all, if you've ever done that, the first time you spend money on a business out of your own pocket, it's a very weird thing. You always think of people spending money out of like a business account. This is coming out of your personal account. It's post-tax dollars. It's like a very weird feeling. You know, a lot of us have a limited amount of income when we're on W-2. So if you spend $10,000 you saved up, it could take six months to save up that money again. So it's very hard to make that first step into entrepreneurship. So if you're feeling that, know that you're not alone. I definitely went through that too. So I hired this developer in India and he did a really good job. At least it looked like it. The app worked pretty well and I, you know, as soon as I had a beta version in my hands, I started going to all the local businesses in Philly where I lived and I got places like Snap Kitchen and Saucony and New Balance to sign up and put rewards into the platform. And then my users would run and it would GPS track their runs and make sure that they ran the full distance of the challenge and then it would enter them into, into the sweepstakes to win the prize. So we would run like 30 miles and 30 days challenges, stuff like that. Also, people could run like two miles and get a free tank top or a free bottle of water or a free Red Bull or something like that. So the company actually had a lot of traction. We had 15,000 users um, when we were about a year into the product. And 
because I was running a tech startup, I wanted venture capitalists and investors to come in and fund the project. But I was so focused on getting the product right, getting the marketing right, getting all the partnerships set up so that I had actual rewards in the feed so that users could come in and there would be rewards to get, that I didn't put that much focus into raising capital. And the easier route was just to spend my own money on it. So when I quit my corporate job and I had 60K in the bank, within a few months, most of that had been burned off. You know, it took $20,000 to develop the app myself. And I burned through that capital really quickly. Now, what I should have done, and I'll explain this later, is I should have gotten investors to pay for that so that I would have more runway, which is a lesson that I'll explain a little bit more later. But I got this app to you know, 15, 20,000 users. I've got all of these big names like Saucony and New Balance partnering on the platform and offering rewards, a lot of good validation. And I had a lot of interested investors. This was like at the height of the Silicon Valley tech era. So people were looking for products to invest in, investors were all over it, but I wasn't dedicating enough time directly to that. Meanwhile, I was still paying my marketing staff to help me with all the marketing. I was paying the software developers. So the money was getting burned through very quickly and I didn't have monetization in the app. So the app wasn't making money. All my advisors told me, oh no, keep it a free app, build up users, build up data, and then you can sell that later. But the problem is, Every entrepreneur only has so much runway, right? So by the time I had been running this company for three, four years, I ended up getting connected with Kevin Hart. And Kevin Hart told me that he wanted to put his name on the company. He wanted it to basically be Kevin Hart's running app. He wanted to invest over $2 million into it and get really involved in, in launching this company. And he has all these influencers here in LA he was gonna put on the platform. And so that was obviously a really exciting milestone. But again, where I went wrong is I didn't have any investors prior to him. So I couldn't, I couldn't stack up his investment against others. I had no leverage in the conversation. Long story short, the investment went in front of the legal firm that was managing him and said, hey, you can't work on this because you're signed to Nike Run and they have a running app. So this big dream just fell apart right in front of my eyes. And at that point, it was such a backbreaking loss and, and lose there that I, I, you know, kicked the can. I said, you know, I'm not going to work on this company anymore. I'm giving up. Now, this was four years into it. I'd spent over $200,000 of my own money building this, and I had never made a dollar back on it. And there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from this. So I teased out a lot of, uh, I would guess, you know, I would say like the most salient learnings. Um, and I'm going to read those off for you in a little bit here. But... That was, the, that was the traditional story. So that was the first time I got featured in Forbes. It was the first time I had spoken on a stage for over 100 people. I had gotten accolades. I got uh, top, five, top, top 50 founders to watch by Startup Grind. I was getting all of these accolades, speaking on stages. You know, I had met with a mayor of Philadelphia, and she had used it as a program to help uh, over 10,000 people run on Philly Free Streets Day. So this had been getting me all kinds of notoriety, but in the background, I wasn't making any money and I was going broke. And that is a very hard feeling as an entrepreneur because you're getting all this positive re reinforcement from the outside, but inside you're feeling empty because, you know, I've been spending 40 to 80 hours a week on this. You know, I was burning the midnight oil when I was working in corporate, so I was doing this in the evenings. I had spent so much time and effort on this company and it had never paid me a dollar back. 
And foolishly, I kept listening to investors who were telling me, don't worry about that, just keep running, wait until you get investment, and they'll eventually make you whole. But the problem is, you eventually run out of runway. If the company is not making money, and this is where I think the, the biggest fallacy in tech companies is, is that, oh, I'm going to have a unicorn and all of this money is going to flow in from investors and so on. You only hear about one out of every thousand companies that starts up. 999 of those companies never make it to that stage. They never make it to unicorn. And that process isn't that simple. You have to have the money before you get started. So all of that came crashing down on me. And it was some really, really important lessons. And that was my first company. And I think it was, it was frustrating because if I had just made one decision earlier on to charge my users for using the app or to charge the advertisers for being on the platform, I would have brought in revenue from years ago and it would have accumulated over the years and let me continue through till I could finish the investment with Kevin Hart or whatever. So I ended up selling the company to my partner um, and he went and started running it for a healthcare application, right? For a business-to-business -business service. But I never got what I felt I had created in terms of value. So here's where I think I went wrong. First, I founded it by myself. When you're running a company, a software company, a mobile app, there's back-end development, there's server infrastructure, there's front-end development, there's UI, there's design, copywriting, branding, marketing, sales, partnerships, the list goes on. I was doing like 10 people's jobs at once, and that's not really possible. It was stressing me out a lot. That's actually when I picked up meditation and yoga because I needed to manage the, you know, the heavy level of stress that I was under. I was essentially doing like four to five people's job each week. And so I got really fast and really disciplined and worked really long hours because I had no choice. But in an ideal world, I would have had a technical co-founder who did all of the software development. So that was my first mistake is that I tried to do it myself. And now looking back, if I ever want to start a company again, given that I'm a sales and marketing and business guy, I will always have a technical co-founder. Second, second big mistake, I didn't get VC funding up front. So I knew I had a brilliant idea. I had a lot of interest from investors, but all of them were kind of giving me soft yeses. And I wasn't demanding enough and, and, and hardcore enough about making them pay and write checks Instead, I was saying, oh, yeah, I'll keep you posted. I'll, you know, I'll do investor updates and all this stuff. And that wasn't my core focus was raising capital. So what ended up happening is that became a secondary workflow. So if I didn't have investors writing checks, that was not as important to me as making the company grow. And at the time, I had just made it go viral on Twitter. I had um, Kim Kardashian retweet one of the tweets that I put out. Got 14,000 downloads overnight by doing that. So... Again, on outside, it looked like the company was growing really well. I felt like I was doing a really good job with the company, but I, I didn't have the funding coming in that I needed. And I still know people today that are starting startups and funding it out of their own pockets. It's simply not worth it because if you take investors and, and for whatever reason the company doesn't make it, you don't pay the investors back. That's their loss. If they want to choose to invest in something and lose it, that's their loss. Whereas if you put all your own money on it, you'll end up in the position that I was in, which is in debt. You don't want this company that you started to cost you money. You want it to make you money. So in order to make money, you need to have, first of all, investors to fund it to the point where it can get profitable. And second of all, you need to have a monetization strategy. 
The reason I didn't do these, investors kept telling me, focus on users, don't focus on revenue. And investors who were not actually investors in the platform, they were just tire kickers, kept advising me to take the quote-unquote San Francisco you know, unicorn route. And that was a huge mistake. Plus, all the investors were giving me different guidance. They would say, oh yeah, I want to invest, but I want to see you hit this milestone. So I would go and chase that milestone, and when I get to that, they're like, oh, well, we need to make a little tweak here, come back in three months. And that kept happening. But the problem was is all the investors were giving me different advice. Some were telling me to go target the business-to-business -business opportunity and you know, go sell this to healthcare providers. Other ones were telling me to go the consumer route, right? Just grow the user base and become a growth app. So I was foolish because I was listening to people's advice who didn't have any vested interest in the project. They didn't have any skin in the game. And they were conflicting advice. So all of these VCs acting like they're the boss and they know what's going on, when in practicality, not only are they conflicting each other, but secondarily, they don't actually have any money in this project. I do. And that, was a, that is a very common in, issue in this industry where people are doing stuff to please other people instead of to please their own business needs. So that was a, another huge mistake that I made. Number three, uh, I had a conflicting target audience. Was I selling this to consumers and making them pay to use it or you know, earning in some way through referral commission, something like that? Or was I selling this to software companies or healthcare? So those are two very different audiences. Again, the investors, I had investors on both sides. Some were pushing me to go the SaaS route and others were pushing me to go the user, you, you know, the user growth, growth route. Kevin Hart was pushing me to make it a social app and make it you know, viral. And then all of the venture capitalists were pushing me to go sell it as a SaaS company. So because I, had, I, was, I was serving two masters, I never had any proper focus. So I was always spread thin. And again, a big part of the issue with this is that when you let the investors call the shots for you or the advisors or the directors, they are never going to know better than you know for yourself as the founder. You set the vision as the founder, you need to follow your vision. So at that time, I should have looked inward instead of outward and said, what do I think is the best business model for this? Now looking back on it, I would have probably raised capital because it would be hard to charge users for an app like that. So I would have raised capital up front, and if I couldn't raise capital, that would be proof that the idea didn't have enough validity to go forward with, and then I probably never would have built it. Even though I did grow the company and get Kevin Hart to uh, sign an investment to do $2 million investment, I do think the validity was there, but I didn't, after four years, I, I was just too burned out to continue with it. So. Either way, the outcome wasn't the one that I wanted. So, you know, bottom line, you just got to trust your own instincts there. You can't, you can't be relying on outside people like investors. And you really have to know what audience you're serving and what your offer is against them. And this is something I've really come to learn lately. You know, with this new company that me and my partner started last month, two months ago, we went from doing zero in revenue to doing 200K a month in revenue in our second month. So. That is completely a result of getting our offer right. We had a very specific audience, a very specific niche, and our close rate among that niche is like 80%. So that's the power of getting the offer right. So I didn't have a super strong offer. I had a, a good offer for both of them, but I hadn't framed it and positioned it and messaged it in a way that it was a grand slam. So that is why I couldn't serve two masters. Even if I had just written a proper offer for both of them, I probably would have had more success. But if I had written a specific offer for just consumers or just businesses, I would have had immense success because 
instead of being split, you know, half of my effort going into each, probably a third at the end of the day, because just the, the distraction factor, it would have been a lot more effort going into a much stronger offer and would have had uh, an exponential outcome rather than a linear outcome. And the last thing that I think I got wrong in this process was when you are pitching investors and when I was pitching investors, you are asking them for something. So inherently you're putting them in the power position. So as a founder, if you're pitching investors in order to not be in the down position, in order to not have the investors be in the power position, you have to flip the tables. You know, you have to turn the tables on them. That's obviously not easy to do because it's counterintuitive. So how do you do it? Well, you have to have written letters of intent from the investors who said they're going to invest. You can't take verbals, right? All my investors were giving me verbals. Hey, when so-and-so invests, I'll invest as well. When Kevin Hart invests, I'll invest too. Of course, that's easy to say. It's a lot different when you write an LOI and you get it signed. Nowadays, I'm such a hard ass, I would have been like, either sign this LOI or get out of my office. I do not want to talk anymore until you are seriously inked into this. And so when I was going back and forth with these investors and they're trying to say, I'll invest if you reach 10,000 users, they're basically giving me an ultimatum. So I would go and carry out that ultimatum and come back to them and they would say, oh, we're still not there yet. I don't think we want to invest. That kept happening time and time again. They would set out specific milestones and then they would back out when the milestones were hit. My metrics looked good. I mean, the average time in app was like 14 minutes. Daily engagement rate was like 30%. It was just super highly engaged users. The quality of the audience and the platform were really high. But the investors wanted to push me more and more. See, the thing is the investors want to push you as long as they can so they have more leverage, so they can have better terms of the deal. Like let's just say, you know, they take a bigger piece of the pie for a smaller amount of money because they, the more desperate you are, the less runway you have, the more leverage they have. So I didn't have leverage on them because one, I didn't have money coming in and two, I was asking them for money. So inherently, you know, they were big dick in me. They thought they were the boss. And so I will never make that mistake again. Now, if I were to go back, I would have, even if it was just friends of mine, I would get written LOIs with signed agreements with them and show that to the investors that I want to talk to. And I would say, look, you have three days to respond whether you want to get into this deal or not, or offers off the table. And then I would seriously follow through with that. And then I would build a much bigger list of investors. And instead of doing 100 meetings a year, I would do 1,000 meetings a year. And that way, I could truly lap them out of my room if I wanted to. I could say, look, if you're not invested, don't waste any more of my time. So that was a super valuable lesson learned is you have to have enough volume to bid the offers against each other. You have to come from a place of power within, which we talked about in other episodes. So definitely listen to the episodes on manifesting and those things uh, if you want to learn to come from a place of power better. And then, of course, don't ever give up your, your, your negotiating position. You have to create the sense of scarcity, right? If you don't get in before next week, this deal's off the table. Or we're oversubscribed in this round. I already have 500,000 out of the one mil that I want committed. So you either write this check or you go find a different investment. And if they know you got big names and you got big money behind it, they're all gonna wanna get in. And you know, I, I think back to how I felt back then, I can actually like feel it in my body when I think back to how I felt back then. And I remember feeling like the small one in the room, feeling like, please, like, please, you know, invest in my company. That was the kind of energy I was putting off. And now, I mean, I would honestly just be flipping them the bird if I felt like they were wasting my time.
So that's just a big difference in, you know, my, my attitude and my confidence and all that. And, and this isn't to say I wasn't a confident guy back then. I was extremely confident. But when you travel all the way to San Francisco, you're in their office, you look at their wall of fame, and it's got Twitter and Dropbox and Facebook. I mean, I was on Sand Hill Road with, uh, what is that company called? Uh, Excel Ventures. So there's, it's, the, it's like the largest VC fund in all of San Francisco. They contacted me, invited me out to San Francisco, and I actually went out there. And I'm walking through their Hall of Fame. They got these platinum plaques on the wall of all of these unicorn companies that they had invested in. And then they throw me in a room, leave me waiting for like 30 minutes, and then walk in all like cocky. And like instantly, first of all, they're outnumbering you, right? So they have a bunch of big dogs who can talk you down, talk you into a corner and grill you and ask you all these questions. And second, like you're in their space, right? So you're inherently you're kind of playing by their rules. And that was, that was a, something that had I walked into that situation these days, I would have been going in there with the mindset, you're lucky to be meeting with me. This is a deal that's going to be passing you by quick if you don't make a decision. And I don't need to ask, answer a lot of questions. I'm going to show you the data. If you're interested, you invest. If not, so be it. Best of luck to you. So the, the big learnings from this process were, well, first of all, uh, shouldn't be going into debt for your own company, especially not on your first company. Um, I'm going to... I'm not going to go too deep into that. I mean, I obviously was able to recover from it. I started K&J after that, and not only did I pay all that debt down within a few years, but I made multiples back uh, once I got TikTok as a client. So this wasn't all in vain, but it doesn't have to be a four-year process for you. If you can learn all these lessons up front and not start the company that is going to take you know $200,000 in four years from your life and not pay you back, I would consider that a job well done. So here's what I learned. Either get a VC funding upfront or make a cash flow positive app. Don't, don't try to create the next big thing with no concept of how you're gonna finance it, no revenue. It is a lost cause. And I still see people doing that every day. I have three companies that I'm advising for right now, three mobile apps, same type of thing. And I'm asking them, before I get engaged with them, I say, are you going to be a cash flow app or are you going to be a high growth app? Is this going to be VC funded or high growth? You need to make that decision right now. And if you can't make that decision, we can't proceed. I can't advise for you. So people still haven't learned that lesson. They're trying to bootstrap it on something that is too expensive for one person to bootstrap. Remember, between my, my partner also invested close to $200,000. So in total, we're probably about $500,000 cash invested plus four years of each of our lives. So we're probably looking at millions invested over that time frame if you think about our salaries. So can you afford to just pick up and do a million dollar project? Probably not. And if you can, uh, you probably shouldn't because it's better to work with OPM, right? It's better to have other people carry the risk with you, not have it all on you because you're the founder. You have to build this whole company. You don't want to be carrying all the financial risk in addition to all the stress of the team and the development and all of that stuff. So number one, Either get VC funding upfront or create a cash flow positive app from the beginning. For our new company, Earnflow, cash flow positive. Don't need investors, don't care about them. Honestly, don't want them. Number two, nail down your audience and offer before you go build anything. To get your offer right, you have to really know your audience well. And even better so, it works. The, the way that we got Earnflow to 200K a month in our first month is because we had already run marketing campaigns for clients like that. 
So we already had proof that the campaigns are profitable. We already knew how the industry works. We already had marketing campaigns built that were, you know, could model after. So it was very easy to pick our niche and write our offer around that. Very easy relatively. It still took me six months to get the business design right. So if you haven't read $100 million by offer, $100 million offers by Alex Hormozzi, that is your first step if you want to start a business. Do not skip that step. And that is, it is the hardest strategic work to do. That's why it is overlooked the most often. And so most people skip it. The, remember the three apps that I'm advising for right now, they, are, they all skipped that process. And when they came to me, they wanted me to do their marketing. But I'm like, wait a second, you guys don't have an offer. And so I won't work for them because I, they're, they're, I'm saving them the headache of launching, losing $100,000 in marketing, only to find out they don't know who their audience is, they don't know what they're selling them, and they don't know how to sell it. So I'm saving them the stress and pain that I went through by saying, do your offer development upfront. Be really, really clear about that before you put any pen to paper. And especially if you're doing software development, if you build an app for, let's just say, boomer moms in you know, the Northwest, and you find out later after testing the app that millennial males in Miami are the most power users in your app, are you going to redesign and develop your whole app to fit this new audience? With software development, I mean, you have to go through staging, you have to go through UI, you have to go through user stories, product development, product release, product deployment. I mean, the, the refinement process with apps is incredibly longer than it is like landing pages or anything else. So getting, getting the audience right before you build anything is critical. And you won't get the audience right until you've picked an audience. And that means choosing one audience and giving up another. I hear it all the time. When I tell people this, they're like, oh, but I'm shutting out all of these, you know, all these other 300 million Americans if I only focus on this audience of 10 million. And that is where most people go wrong. And that is where you need to have the humility and the, the discernment and discipline to say, I'm going to choose a smaller audience, one that I can win with, and then I will expand. If you try to boil the ocean, it'll never even get hot. So the last thing I learned from this is a skill set that eventually led me to become the head of growth for TikTok in Brazil, US, and UK. So because I, I white knuckled my way through my first app and made it go viral, I actually had a lot of creative growth hacks. The Twitter viral strategy, uh, 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 viral PR strategy that I got me published in like 100 different publications over the course of running that company. So when it came to meet TikTok, I had a lot of valuable skills that I could offer them. So I went from making basically negative 50, 100K a year when I was investing in my own company to working with TikTok and making 600 grand in one month. So the, there is definitely a positive outcome, but if you, if you net that 600 grand I made in the month at TikTok over the course of four years, that's only 150K a year. It's basically somebody's salary. So all it did was basically make me whole on the, on the first initial investment. So if I could have uh, foregoed those four years and done that whole process in like one or two years because I did my homework up front and I didn't target the wrong audience and all of that stuff, then I would have gotten to the stage of serving TikTok and having that big kind of blowout case study much, much sooner. But at the end of the day, everything happens for a reason. Nothing is an accident. All the bad things that happen to us are a result of something that we've done. So I take full ownership of it. But it did rocket me into a bunch of amazing 
clients, apps, etc., like TikTok, Triller, Aughty, all of these other platforms that are, you know, reliant on the same type of marketing strategies that I learned. So that's how I went from having 60K in the bank to being 100K in debt and then earning it all back and finally becoming whole. So I hope this story has inspired you. If you want to hear more stories of the sort, just let me know in the comments. Uh, specifically, if you put comments into the review section on the podcast app around what stories you want to hear more of, I'll go read them and I will tell you stories about this company or that company or whatever you're interested in that you're working on and can relate to you. All right. Thank you again for listening. It's always a pleasure, guys. Hope this inspired you and I'll see you in the next episode.